Wherever cancer is, Hancock Health will fight. In any part of you and in all corners of East Central Indiana. From Indianapolis to Greenfield to Knightstown to Greensburg. From hospital rooms to family rooms, we fight. With technology and medicine. With care backed by the wisdom of Mayo Clinic. For you, for your family, and for your future in Decatur County. We fight cancer here. HancockHealth.org slash cancer. A well-regulated militia being necessary you feel for the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. And good afternoon and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. It's nice to be on the air with you. Uh, we're also on video. If you want to uh, check us out on YouTube, just go to youtube.com slash WIBC and click on the Gun Guy Show and you'll see a live stream. Uh, you can also go to the WIBC Facebook page and producer Carl has... Uh, us up on the Facebook page as well. So, as I always say, I'm not a whole heck of a lot to look at, but if you want to watch the video stream, you're welcome to do that. There is a, a chat feature on the video. So, if you have a question, some people are on there now just kind of saying hi and, and hey, back at you. Uh, but uh, if you want to uh, say hi or ask a question, you can do that through the YouTube chat feature. I'm actually not signed into YouTube. I had problems logging into the WIBC studios uh, today into the into the system. And I'm not sure why that is. It didn't want to take my my password. Uh, and I, I think I'm still employed. I'm still here uh, doing a show. My, my security card worked to get me in the door uh, and into the parking garage. So I, I assume I'm still employed. Um, but if you know something about that that I don't, you know, what was the line in, uh, what was it, Big Business with Judge Reinhold and uh, Eddie, oh, God. It was a, anyway, the, the, the furniture movers are always the first to know. That was the line out of that movie in terms of people that have lost their jobs. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, you're welcome to join us on uh, YouTube. Check out the live uh, chat uh, feature on that or, or just follow the video. Or as uh, as most folks do, just listen to us over your radio waves or online at WIBC.com as well. You can always stream the show live or you can go back and listen to the podcast as well. So let's get into the substance of the show. And uh, the first thing, and a lot of people have asked me about this. Uh, first thing, producer Carl asked me when I walked in the studio here uh, an hour or so ago. Um, he said, did you see what Biden had to say this week on how he essentially is going to bypass Congress and institute universal background checks? through executive order, and he announced that in Monterey, California, the site of a fairly recent mass shooting, and he was there to acknowledge the, the victims uh, of that shooting, but then also to call on Congress to pass more gun control, but also then to say what he was going to do, even in the absence of Congress having done anything. And uh, Congress, let's go to 
what it is that he had to say. Producer Carl's giving me yeah, sign language. Right. I have no damn idea what he's talking about. What's that? I think I know what he's telling me. Um, so we're, let's go to what back. President... What's that? We're feeding back to ourselves. Yeah, we're still feeding back. What President Biden had to say. I know what he's telling me. Um, all right, never mind. We're, I guess we're not going to play that video after all. I don't know what the hell's going on. Um, but I'll describe what it is that President Biden had to say, and that is he was calling on Congress to do more on background checks and to pass so-called universal background checks. Uh, but in the meantime, he said he's directing his administrative agencies, including his Department of Justice, to, quote, take us as close to universal background checks as we can without the action of Congress. So that's the that's the quote from President Biden. Now, his executive orders that he announced just this last week, this is on the 14th. So what, four days ago? Uh, it has more components than that, and we'll get into each one of, uh, of those a little bit to the extent we have time here on the show. And we'll continue to take your questions and comments on these issues as well. So give us a call uh, here in the studio, 317-239-9393. I think we'll do a better job uh, on the phones than we're apparently doing on the Internet. Um, but in the meantime, uh, give us a call, 317-239-9393. And uh, we'll be able to get you on air on these issues as well. So what's he talking about? What is this with background checks? And what can he do to, quote, unquote, take us as close as possible to universal background checks without any action of Congress? Well, what he's telling his administrative agencies to do, including justice. And by the way, when he says Department of Justice, and I talked to Hammer Nigel about this this last week on Wednesday, uh, the same, I believe, the same day that these announcements came out. And um, there, there was a little confusion because he says, you know, I'm directing my administrative agencies, including the Department of Justice, to take us as close as possible to universal background checks. And the question, the appropriate question, the legitimate question from Hammer and Nigel uh, when they asked me about this earlier in the week was, well, is this constitutional? Can he bypass Congress and tell his administrative agencies to do something that only Congress can do. Well, if he's asking them to do something only Congress can do, the answer to that is no. And to the extent he's asking them to legislate, that is change the rules and change the law. And look, listen, we've seen ATF do that all too often. ATF did that on bump stocks. That's one of the reasons that that so-called bump stock ban, which, by the way, happened under Trump, we need to remember, that's not apologizing for anything Biden is doing, but we need to remember that our own Republican, most recent Republican president did this as well. But ATF changed the law on bump stocks saying, well, they're essentially the same as machine guns. And to do that, they had to change the definition of machine gun that Congress wrote into the National Firearms Act in 1934. ATF can't do that. And that's one of the reasons the Fifth Circuit here recently struck down the bump stock ban. Now, that's one federal circuit. And I've talked about this here on the show before. That's one federal circuit. Good for anybody who lives within the Fifth Circuit, which is a federal circuit encompassing Texas, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Three federal circuits, much more liberal than the Fifth, have come out and upheld the bump stock ban. But the answer on background checks or the new brace rule, which is essentially declaring 
pistols with pistol braces on them to be short-barreled rifles, a lot of us are saying it's changing the law. ATF can't do that. Congress can do that. Now, there's an argument that we're going to hear from the Biden administration and from Department of Justice and specifically ATF, but also the lawyers at DOJ to say, oh, no, we're not changing the law. We're just telling you how we interpret federal law. Okay. But the same with background checks. Can the executive branch, including the president and his administrative agencies, change the law? The answer to that is no. Only Congress can do that. And Tim is calling, and I'll be glad to take his call. We'll get into his specific question, but he's saying, how can Biden do this without Congress? Well, I'll tell you what his answer would be to this. And he would say that on background checks, he's not changing the law currently. If you're engaged in the business of buying and selling firearms, you have to have a federal firearms license. That is, you have to be an FFL, a federal firearms licensee. So if you're engaged in the business and you're not an FFL, you can go to jail for that. If you are an FFL, you have to do background checks on every transaction you conduct. Doesn't matter where. You know, we've heard for years, oh, there's a gun show loophole. And there's no background checks at gun shows. Bull. If you're a federal firearms licensee, if you're set up at a gun show, if you're doing business over the internet, if you have a brick-and-mortar store, if you're selling guns out of your home with your FFL, and some people do that, you have to do background checks on every transaction, including at a gun show. There's no gun show loophole in the sense that the same rules don't apply at gun shows. Exactly the same rules apply. If you're not an FFL, you're only a private individual, you don't have to do background checks on someone that you sell a gun to. You don't have to do any background check on someone you sell a gun to. In Indiana, under state and federal law, you cannot knowingly sell a gun, transfer a gun. That includes giving it, lending it. You can't transfer a gun, sell it, you name it to someone you know to be a prohibited possessor who can't buy their own gun. So someone who you know to be a felon. Now, there's an exception under the Indiana law and federal law, which is for re, which is someone who's ineligible to buy their own handgun. You can still sell them a gun if the only reason they're ineligible to purchase their own handgun is because of age. Why do we have that rule? Well, you have to be 21 under federal law to buy a handgun at a dealer. I can sell a handgun to someone, as long as they're not a prohibited possessor, who's 18, 19, or 20. They're, they're ineligible to buy their own handgun from a dealer, but only for reasons because of age. Therefore, the exception is reasons other than age is if they're ineligible to purchase one themselves i can't sell it to them but i don't have to do a background check in other words i don't have to go through a law enforcement agency i don't have to go through a dealer i don't have to pay a dealer to call nicks or do what we call a transfer which is the dealer technically takes the gun into their inventory they have the purchaser fill out the paperwork including the form 4473 that call then or the 
electronic communication goes to NICS, the National Ancient Criminal Background Check System, that conducts the background check. You get a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or a delay. That's how that system works. I don't have to do that on a private transaction. So what's Biden talking about? Well, it's twofold, and I'll get into both elements of that. Uh, and we'll go to the phone lines uh, to the extent folks are want to talk about this issue uh, here when we come back. Join the discussion, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. So this is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for the Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Glad you're with us. Uh, Glad uh, for the people on uh, YouTube or on the uh, WIBC Facebook page. You can follow it as well. Uh, also streaming live video. Number of, pe- number of people are on there. By the way, turns out, I owe producer Carl an apology. It was totally my fault that we, uh, we, we're we having trouble playing that uh, audio from President Biden. And it was just a short blurb, and I basically repeated it verbatim in terms of him directing the Department of Justice to take us as close as possible to universal background checks without congressional action. Uh, turns out it was because I had the YouTube broadcast up on my computer, including the audio. So when I turned my audio on to play the Biden clip, uh, you were getting feedback from me through the YouTube feed. So see, I got to be smart enough to manage the YouTube transmission uh, while I'm trying to use the computer here in the studio. So there you go. That's what happens when a guy in his 60s tries to use too much technology all at once. It's a disaster waiting to happen. So my apologies to everybody involved. Uh, But I will get back on the YouTube because people were chatting with me. Now, I'm not signed in because I had the other technical problem I had. And I don't think this one is my fault. I just got locked out of the system for some reason. Uh, it wouldn't let me log in under my password here in the studio, uh, so I can't log into YouTube and because that's part of Google, and, and I, I don't want to uh, log into all that stuff when I'm not logged into the system. So I can see the chat and respond accordingly and go from there. So here's where we are. Is No, the Department of Justice cannot change the law. And we're talking about Department of Justice. We're talking about the lawyers at DOJ. That's the legal wing of the executive branch. Then you got law enforcement at FBI and ATF, and the ATF that also writes regulations under both the Gun Control Act of 1968 and the National Firearms Act of 1934, and all the other federal statutes, including the Firearm Owners Protection uh, Protection Act of 1986, the Brady Bill of 1994, it goes on and on. All the federal statutes that Congress has passed. Well, ATF also writes regulations in terms of how they uh, enforce and apply the laws written by Congress. Short answer. And again, Tim's on the line. And Tim, I'll let you ask this directly. Uh, how can Biden do this without Congress? Have I answered that for you yet, buddy? Or is there still something more you want me to get into? Well, 
I got another question. I was going to ask one real quick. Are you going to have a booth out there at the NRA convention in Indy? <laughs> I'm not going to have. <laughs> that is that's a completely different subject, Tim. Well, I, that was the first question. The second one, it doesn't. I mean, I know. I, first of all, do I get an answer? Are you going to have a booth? No, I'm not going to have a booth, but uh, I'll be wandering around. Now, last time it was here in town, Tim, um, I did a bunch of broadcasts from there. I did uh, uh, NRA TV before it imploded uh, with uh, NRA having its financial problems. NRA TV went away, but I, I did three or four different broadcasts for NRA TV. Um, it, we, it was during the NRA annual meeting that we got our, our new self-defense immunity uh, law passed. That I wrote, Jim uh, Lucas introduced, and fought like hell for, as did a number of other pro-Second Amendment members of our Indiana General Assembly. Uh, Governor Holcomb actually signed that into law during the annual meeting. I went directly from the, the signing ceremony, which was uh, part of the leadership conference that NRA had in the, uh, in the uh, Lucas Oil Stadium, and I, I went to the signing and then literally sprinted from Lucas Oil over back over to the convention center to do NRA TV live with Dana Lash. And uh, and I had Kisty uh, Phillips with me, uh, my client who inspired that self-defense immunity law after she was sued after her- heroically and courageously saving the life of a police officer who was about to be killed with his own gun. And she really, even though I've now represented multiple people who got sued after... Uh, they uh, use lawful and justified force to defend themselves or defend a third person. Uh, Kisty's story, and, and here she was a single mom and, and really risked her life to save a police officer. A uh, police officer was incredibly grateful, as you would expect, and uh, was the first to, to say she's a hero. And uh, all of that was very, very compelling, and we, and we really used her story as uh, a lot of the uh, momentum behind getting our self-defense immunity statute passed. And so I, I did that from uh, NRA annual meeting, had that live uh, broadcast with Dana Lash, which was a lot of fun. But I did uh, I did other broadcasts there as well. I did the Hammer and Nigel show uh, from there. And this year, I don't know that I'm going to do the Gun Guy show because that weekend, that Saturday, I'm actually going to be doing a fundraiser this is during the NRA annual meeting, but to be doing it at Premier Arms, uh, a huge uh, sponsor here of the, the not only the Gun Guy show, but of other programming on WIBC. You hear him advertise a lot on Tony Katz's shows, and uh, I'm a big fan of that store out there in Brownsburg at Premier Arms, and we're doing a live broadcast from Premier Arms, so I'll be... Uh, jockeying back and forth. So that's a long-winded way, uh, Tim, of answering your question, which is I'm not going to have a booth because I'm not going to be sitting still that long. Uh, but I'm sure I'll be over there, and I'm going to look for uh, several different opportunities to do live broadcasting from there, including, I'm sure, with Hammer and Nigel um, uh, during uh, the days that uh, they're broadcasting during the NRA annual meeting, coming right up in April. So let's go back and, and, and finish the discussion. And we're now at the bottom of the hour, so I'll, I'll get briefly into it and then, then come back and get more in more detail. Um, but no, the Department of Justice cannot change the law. So what's Biden saying? Biden is saying two things. First of all, he's saying, well, I'm telling the... the uh, Justice Department, and this includes ATF, that already enforces the law with respect to gun stores. 
and res- res- respect to the law about how if you're engaged in the business, you have to have a federal firearms license. He's telling the ATF, FBI, other law enforcement agencies that are part of the executive department. They are part of what he can lawfully and constitutionally direct as president. That is parts of his cabinet, which includes the attorney general and the FBI and the ATF report up through their structures, ultimately to the attorney general as part of the executive branch. He's telling them first, make sure that all the FFLs out there, the federal firearms licensees, the gun stores, are complying with federal law and doing background checks as they're required to do. Well, that's not news. It's saying, ATF, make sure you do your job. And, and if there are any gun stores out there, and, and he always wants to talk about rogue gun stores, you know, not following the law. What the hell he's talking about? I mean, I don't know. Is there a federal firearms licensee out there anywhere who, yeah, got their license, but then they're busily circumventing the law and ignoring the law? Are there any of those guys? I mean, I'm not going to try to speak on behalf of every FFL in the country. But if you're going to go through the administrative hassle, pay the the expense because these licenses cost money. And and they they cost more or less money depending on how many different types of licenses you want. In other words, you want a manufacturer's license, an importer's license. You want uh, to do business on NFA items. You got to pay your special occupational tax. That costs money. So the, the 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 more types of business you want to do within the firearms industry, the more licenses you need, or what types of licenses you need under your FFL, the more money it costs you. If you're going to go through the administrative hassle and spend the money to get your FFL, are you going to turn right around and violate federal law intentionally? It doesn't make any sense to me. It would make a lot more sense to me if you're a rogue gun dealer. You're never going to want to want to be under the the under the the spotlight of being an FFL and have to submit to ATF regulation and and ATF oversight, have ATF inspections, which they do. The industry operations branch of ATF shows up at gun stores and they check inventory. They check it against your acquisition and distribution log, what they call their A&D log, the guns that come in and the guns that go out. If a gun got sent to you by a manufacturer or a distributor, then it needs to be one of three places. Actually, it needs to be in two of three places. It needs to be in your acquisition component of your A&D log, and then it either needs to be in your distribution, meaning it's your disposition, showing where it went, and have a corresponding 4473 form to be able to demonstrate to whom it went, or it still needs to be in your inventory. So if you took something in, you need to show that, and and the gun manufacturer or distributor is going to have a record that it went to you. So it needs to be in your in the A part of your A and D log, and then it either it needs to be either in inventory, or you need to have a forty four three seventy three for it, and it needs to show up in your disposition component of your A and D log, or you lose your license and could potentially go to jail. If you want to be a rogue gun dealer and operate outside the bounds of the law, why would you subject yourself to inspections by ATF? Does that make any sense to you? 
So if you're an FFL and you went through the burden and the expense of becoming an FFL, do you think you're just out there willfully flouting the law and violating the law? I don't think so. So the first component of what he's saying to ATF is make sure these gun dealers, he always wants to make it sound like they're these nefarious charlatans, make sure they're following the law. Okay, Mr. President. But then he said, and here's where the non-FFLs out there who may buy and sell a few firearms here or there, here's where you better be paying attention. I've been saying this for a long damn time. I've talked about it here on the Gun Guy Show, and I've sure as hell said it to people who come to my office and are talking about guns they buy and sell. If you can be seen as being engaged in the business, and we'll talk about what that means, and you don't have an FFL, if you're somebody who likes to go to gun shows, set up a table, and just sell a few guns here and there. The next component that we're going to get into here after the break of what Biden had to say on Wednesday ought to be getting your attention. Because here's where it has some teeth and some potential legal downside for folks who do not have their federal firearms license at all. And that's what we'll get into when we come back. Right now we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Welcome as well to the folks who uh, are watching on YouTube or through the uh, YouTube feed on our Facebook page, which is uh, at WIBC on Facebook. I think it's 93 WIBC on Facebook. Um, and I'm, I'm not signed into YouTube, so I can see your comments. I can't respond via the comment feature or the chat feature, I guess it's called. Um, because I had some trouble logging into our system today, but I can see them because I'm uh, on the the YouTube channel. So I, uh, I, to the extent that time permits later in the show, I'll go back and scroll through some of the questions and comments on there uh, and, uh, and try to respond to uh, what people may be asking or saying on there as well. Uh, but the other component on background checks that, that Biden was talking about on Wednesday in his executive orders that he has now issued was he saying I'm going to I'm, t- I'm telling federal law enforcement and this includes ATF to make sure that they're enforcing existing law on requiring not only FFLs federal firearms licensees to do background checks on everyone they sell a gun to well no kidding that's existing law you're just telling ATF essentially to do their job which is to monitor the firearms industry and enforce federal law as it relates to firearm dealers. Okay. But then he's also saying to make sure that anyone engaged in the business of buying and selling firearms has a license. What's he saying there? He's saying that if you meet the definition of being engaged in the business and don't have a federal firearms license, he wants ATF to put you in jail And he wants the Justice Department to prosecute you and put you in prison. That's what he's talking about. So what does this mean? What's the definition of being engaged in the business of buying and selling firearms? A lot of people think, well, it's got to be a certain number of guns. I can sell under X number of guns a year or a month or whatever it might be, and I'm safe. That's not true at all. 
In fact, in the closing days of the Obama administration, ATF, in response to one of Obama's executive orders, issued what was called a guidance document. Essentially said, do I need a federal firearms license? And it proceeded to answer that question. And it it spelled out to a very large degree what federal law says on this issue. And it's not a particular number of firearms. If you are holding yourself out as being a firearms-related business, and there is an example of, of one guy set up at a gun show, and he had a big sign, something like, you know, guys firearms, that he set up at his display at a gun show. And he had business cards with something like, guys' firearms on it, you know, quality firearms for sale. And they essentially caught him at this gun show where he set up this way, selling one gun. And the court said, yeah, that's enough to be engaged in the business, even though it was only one gun, because he was clearly operating as a business and holding himself out as a business. On the other hand, you can liquidate a private collection. And this is this was right in this guidance document. And by the way, I went out looking for that the other day, and it looks like the Department of Justice has taken this down. And I don't know, and that could be it just isn't the same place, because for years I would just Google it, and I had the link preserved because I emailed that link around to different people under different circumstances. I went back to that same link, and the link didn't work anymore. So I don't know if they've just moved it or it's or they've taken it down completely. Because they want to tell you as they go and make up the rules as they go on what's being engaged in the business. But the, but the law has a definition of being engaged in the business, and that is if you repetitively buy and sell firearms with a principal motivation of making a profit. Now, again, it says re- repetitively. Well, that would seem to say that only one isn't enough. Well, that could well be unless you hold yourself out as a business. So if you're buying and selling some guns with a primary motive of making a profit, the law says you're engaged in the business of buying and selling firearms. And if you're engaged in the business, you have to have a license. And if you don't have a license and you're engaged in the business, you're looking at five years in federal prison. And I believe it's a $250,000 fine. So that's the impact of this. Now, folks have seen this language of, well, if you're liquidating a private collection, you don't have to have a federal firearms license. Well, that's true. Let's say you've been slowly building a a firearms collection for 25, 30 years, or you inherit a large firearms collection of 200 guns. And you don't want 200 guns for whatever reason. Either you're done collecting and you want to get out of it, or you inherit it and don't have an interest in maintaining that collection. You just want to liquidate it because you'd rather have the cash. Can you sell it? Yes. Does that make you engaged in the business because you want to sell all of Grandpa's firearms that you inherited? No. Because you're not repetitively buying guns so as to turn around and sell them trying to make a profit. You're just liquidating the collection because you'd rather have cash. If you're a collector and want to buy two or or sell a gun, I should say, or two, to get the cash to buy a better gun, 
that fills that niche in your collection, you can do that. That's not repetitively buying and selling firearms either. But here's where people try to get too cute by half. And that's the guys you see at the gun shows all the time who set up the table with a carved wooden sign. If you go to gun shows, you've seen these guys. The carved wooden sign they've been using for 25 years at gun shows, traveling around with their, their truck and their trailer full of guns, that says liquidating private collection. Are they really liquidating a private collection? Or are they just trying to get around the license requirement? Those are the guys that are going to get more of us in trouble because that's who Biden is saying to crack down on. But who, I'll tell you exactly who's going to get caught up in this. And that's the enthusiast who simply buys and sells a few guns here and there because they're into guns. Because they want to get rid of of less quality guns they have and buy better guns. If they buy and and sell several firearms in that process, could they easily get swept up in what Biden's talking about here in this executive order? Oh, my, yes. How do I know this? Because I'm currently representing some of these people. And I'll get more into that and wrap up this topic here when we come back. Right now, we're past the three-quarter hour, so we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And I'm... Back. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We're glad you're with us. And I'll tell you what, uh, wrapping up this discussion on Biden's announcement on ATF enforcing existing laws on background checks. Again, if you're somebody who just always has three or four guns out there on different social media sites with guns for sale, if you always got three or four guns for sale on, on gun broker uh, or arms list, uh, I'd be very concerned about that right now. And and Biden's announcement really means something as far as you're concerned. In the meantime, uh, Bob has a question about FFL licenses, and he's been on hold for a while. Bob, we, we don't have a lot of time, brother, but I didn't want to keep you on hold any longer. You had a question about CNR licenses, I think? Yeah, exactly. And I know it's a different level than FFL. I'm not quite sure about all of it. I know it has something to do with 50-year-old firearms, and I'll just let you go with that. Yeah, and, and, and Bob, I'll keep this brief because we don't have a lot of time, but it, we're talking about curios and relics. That's what CNR means. And there's a separate license category that the ATF will give to people if they only deal in firearms that are declared a curio or a relic. They has to be more than 50 years old, and it has to have something of historical value, essentially. You can collect those, and you can also dispose of them and actually don't have to do background checks as part of that, and you don't need an FFL. Um, that's all I have time to get into on that. But I'll tell you what, we'll be back. We'll talk more about Biden's executive orders and how they apply to us as everyday gun owners. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back for hour number two of the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're talking about Biden's executive orders issued on Wednesday. I uh, had a, a speech out in Monterey, California, where he announced all of this. And a, a big focus of his executive order and uh, of his speech and of the press conference on both of those things has to do with background checks. That's what we've been talking about for the first half or so of the show. But that's not all he went into. I'm going to go into more of what these executive orders do, uh, what Biden says they're going to do, and what I think they will or won't do. We'll get into all of those things. But I'll tell you what, Charles called in really right at the beginning of the show, I think wants to talk about something completely different, 
Uh, but Charles, you've been on hold for a long time, man. I hate to leave you there on hold, and we're kind of transitioning oh, no, between I'm, subjects. I'll, I'm a I'm a longtime caller to the station. I guarantee you. And God bless you guys for the work you do. Well, thank uh, you. I know it's. I know this isn't any entertainment television, but finally I was able to catch this thing. Uh, WTHR thirteen. You know they have what they call subsidiary over the air channels, and one of them is called Circle, which is kind of a country and western station. Now, why in the world? I hit the wrong button one time a few weeks ago. For on Saturdays, it seems to be the only time it's on from one. It's there are half an hour shows, but it's only on from one to two. And there's a, a special forces guy. I can't pronounce his name. Terry Shepherd, or Shepherd okay. like that. that may, you probably know more about it than I would. And what he does is a show called Hollywood Weapons. And I know this would click with you literally. He'll take well a perfect example today. Um, what from Die Hard? Now they, sometimes they use film clips. Most of the time, I guess they can't afford to actual use it. They'll use uh, black and white drawings. But the idea when Bruce Willis, remember when he uh, used his gun to blast the window out and went on into the building, can that be physically done, for example? So they reconstructed sets in odds and ends. Now, I mean, it's not like a Mythbusters deal. I mean, it's you know, along that lines. Right. But they jumped back and forth. Uh, one week it was, uh, uh, could you fire, you know, uh, from the longest day of parachute, paratroopers during D-Day, could you fire and hit a target with a Thompson machine gun in the air? Okay. And they put him up in the air in a parachute. <laughs> but it's uh, they just jump around, so it's not really um, – what was another one? Um, and the good, the bad, the ugly. Remember the deal that he and uh, Eli Wallach had? Remember every time they get ready to hang him, he would shoot the rope? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, they were trying to say with the Winchester, <laughs> standing up high or on a horse, could you actually do it? Okay. But most of the time, it sticks with handguns. And two things that happened, I know you're tying your line up here and stuff. Believe it or not, they actually had one, a show nobody ever went to see, called The Shadow. Who do you think starred in it? Alec Baldwin. Oh, yeah. Okay. And he plays, yeah. Well, they had a scene in it where him and the bad guy get into a gun duel when they shoot. Both bullets literally hit each other in midair. That's how good they are. They actually tried this with live ammo. Uh, yeah. And it shows on the, the segment when they come out, you'll hear this gun expert. He brings in experts. These aren't just some uh, comic book characters or something. And you'll hear the guy, which made me think of this Russ situation. And, and Charles, Charles, we need to wrap this up, buddy, because uh, we're kind of okay, way, make a, well, way anyway, off what I'm talking one, about on the show here, buddy. Okay. Well, I'll make one more thing. The best episode, if you can catch it, is called How Many Bullets in a Six Gun? And he goes back to Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid. And the director himself on the DVD said he knows it's uh, Robert Redford fired at least 30 to 34 <laughs> rounds. But it was, there's definite scenes where you uh, see him and, reload. And, and Charles, I got you, buddy, and uh, I understand. Uh, and I'm sure that would be interested, interesting, I should say. I, You know, I... I think it's interesting in terms of, you know, some of these things that we see, like, you know, could you take your machine gun and and shoot through a window as you're, you know, swinging uh, through it on a, I think it was an extension cord that Bruce Willis was using in Die Hard. But I, th- I, I see what you're talking about. Not exactly Mythbusters, but sort of testing uh, some of the cool Hollywood scenes. Um, I think... You know, for somebody like me who's interested in 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 uh, shooting real guns and 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 real training in uh, 
in realistic scenarios that, that you know we may encounter in real life to be able to defend our, ourselves and and uh, our families uh, primarily is the reason that I take the kind of training I do um, doesn't necessarily equate very well to a lot of the cool stuff we all see and are entertained by in movies. But at the same time, if I stumbled across something like that, um, I think I would probably stop and uh, and probably to the great annoyance of my wife, hang out and, and watch that for a while. So I understand uh, why you're uh, why you're watching that. But in the meantime, uh, I've been talking about this executive order that uh, a series of executive orders really that uh that biden uh issued and announced uh, just this week on wednesday and some of these have real practical uh application and in fact i think that's what joe wants to talk about joe has uh called in as well joe welcome to the gun guy show hi yeah um i i heard on another talk show not on a wibc show that what biden is hanging his hat on here is the new gun law that you know our glorious Senator Todd Young voted for, <clears throat> and basically it lets them redefine who's a gun dealer. Like if you know they came and red flagged you and you didn't have all your guns, you say, "Well, I sold my guns," and they say, "Well, you better have your FFL paperwork and all this, you know, crap." Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, I suppose that's what he's hanging his hat on is that that law. Yeah, well, that that and Joe, it's a valid point. And my buddy uh, Kelly and Avon on the chat on uh, YouTube uh, mentioned uh, the so-called bipartisan Safer Communities Act that yes, uh, Senator Todd Young uh, did vote for. He and I discussed it I, to his great credit, and it meant a lot to me that he did it. He called me before that vote went to the floor of the Senate, and we talked through some of the provisions. I had particular concerns about the so-called boyfriend loophole provision that's in that law, but there are other components as well. And, and yeah, they, they did buttress, kind of reinforce the idea that if you're, if you're buying and selling guns with the motivation of making a profit, uh, then that's when you're engaged in the business. And... Um, and that, and that, you know, that just, and I mentioned this before the break at the top of the hour, just hanging your sign out at the gun show that says uh, liquidating private collection, quote unquote, since there's been some protection for, quote unquote, liquidating private collections, uh, doesn't necessarily uh, give you a free pass if you're really, at the end of the day, according to evidence that law enforcement is able to uh, to come up with that you're really repetitively buying and selling guns for purposes of making a profit. So, yeah, and they, and they are going to use that. And that's actually what I was referring to when I talked about the two components on background checks that Biden was referring to. A, it's making sure federal firearms licensees just follow existing law, which is required that already requires them to do background checks on every transaction, period, end of story, no exceptions, including at a gun show. As I discussed, but secondly, to go after those people who are not FFLs, but the government says should be, and this is a big focus. And in fact, I'll guarantee you this: this is not this is something now that's happening nationwide, but it's been happening in, in Indiana and a focused effort in Indiana for longer than that. And here's why: Chicago ATF. I know this for a fact because I've talked to Chicago ATF. Chicago ATF came to the view. That Indian, the Indianapolis office of ATF wasn't doing a good enough job of enforcing federal law on this issue and was allowing too many people in Indiana 
to repetitively buy and sell a lot of guns without a federal firearms license. And a lot of these guns, according to ATF, were, were ending up at Chicago crime scenes. And Chicago ATF said, you know what, we keep finding guns at crime scenes that we, we now see were sold on gun broker or on arms list by somebody in the Indianapolis area or somebody in Lafayette or somebody wherever in Indiana. And I'll guarantee you, within the, within the Chicago office of ATF, there's, there's something, it's probably called something like uh, uh, Project uh, Hoosier Pipeline, something like that. It's got some cute, you know, uh, operation, Operation Hoosier Pipeline. It's got some name like that within the Chicago office of the ATF, because the Chicago ATF has said, you know what, we're not going to sit back and wait for Indianapolis ATF to go out and arrest these people. We're going to go to Indianapolis and knock on doors and start arresting these people. How do I know this? Because I've had them arrest people and, and DOJ is prosecuting people that have then hired me to be their lawyer. And 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 as part of that, they'll say, yes, we found from this Individual, I'm not obviously getting into any pending case. That would be totally wrong to do on the radio, but I will talk generically. But in these cases, they will say, yes, we found four different guns, five different guns, eight different guns, that this person sold on arms list or sold on gun broker or sold on Facebook. And yes, there are these sites out there that sort of have a code system for how they can have guns that they're, they are really for sale even though Facebook bans the sale of firearms on Facebook. It has for a few years now. But they're tracing these back to individual sellers, and they're going, aha, this guy, this person, or this couple, whatever it might be, is repetitively buying and selling guns with the principal motivation of making a profit. They don't have an FFL. That's against federal law. And a lot of times what they loop in with those same cases is if – Someone's contacting them saying, I'm looking for as many Glock 19s as I can get a hold of. And they're giving these people money who then go out and buy the Glock 19s. I'm just using that as an example, but that's a popular gun, a very common gun, and a desired gun by these people in these cases. These people are using then someone else's money and going out and buying those guns. What's that? That's a straw purchase. And that first question that you answer on the 4473 form in the gun store is, are you the actual transferee? If you're using someone else's money and buying a gun on their behalf, that's a straw purchase. And when you say, yes, I'm the actual transferee on that 4473 form, that's a violation of federal law. And that's 10 years in federal prison for lying on that form. And the straw purchase violation is 10 years. So now they've got you both for being engaged in the business of buying and selling firearms and making a false statement on the 4473. They're going, there you go. You're looking at 15 years in prison. And I'm telling you, if you know, if you have friends, you have colleagues, you have associates, you know that that guy who's out there has always got four or five guns on arms list or gun broker or on some Facebook page or whatever it might be, or some other site, Indiana Gun Owners, INGO. I used to be very, very active on INGO. A lot of a good discussions. I, I just don't have time to get it, too engaged in those discussions anymore. But for years, I advertised on INGO, and, and they have a classified section that I think is very well run. I, I, I know, I think it's 
changed administrators' ownership a few times over the years. But for years, I knew the people that ran Ingo and really liked them and 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 appreciated what they did. And I still do when I'm when I'm on there. But if you're if you if you, somebody's always got four or five guns, they're listed on in the classifieds on Ingo, and they're doing that to make a buck, to generate a profit. They're doing it repetitively. That's who. President Biden is now saying he wants ATF to go after on a nationwide basis. And it's been a focus of Chicago ATF and now Indianapolis ATF, who's gotten swept up in it, in Indiana for several years. And I'm telling you, word to the wise, don't be that person who's making a few bucks of buying and selling guns. Don't do it. Because and, and but I'll tell you what else is, is happening, and I've seen this happen. Unfortunately, is people who are legitimately collectors, who are not in the business at all, get swept up in this too. That's the danger of what Biden's talking about on these background check initiatives, including going after people that he says are violating federal law on who is required to have an FFL. Because they're, quote-unquote, engaged in the business. I'll tell you what, we're past the quarter hour. It's time to take a break. We'll go back to the phone lines uh, when we come back. But I'll talk about what else Biden had to say in these executive orders uh, and what we can anticipate as people trying to stay on the right side of the law here in Indiana as Indiana gun owners. We'll be right back. Give us a call. Join the discussion, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Glad you're with us. Let's get back into President Biden's executive orders. The other thing he said, and this always just sets me off, it's one of those multitude of things that Biden says that are just flat wrong, that are just demonstrably false, but either no one on his staff has the cojones to tell him it's wrong or they tell him and he doesn't remember <laughs> or he tells him they tell him and he doesn't remember or he doesn't care i'd go with don't remember is my personal theory on that one or they just don't have the stones to, to call him out to begin with because i mean there are a bunch of these on guns so he'll say well you know we've always had reasonable restrictions on 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 firearms the second amendment is not unlimited say you couldn't own a cannon at the time the second amendment was written yeah you could absolutely you could there there were whole warships civilian warships that were issued essentially licenses to operate and as civilians, absolutely you could. And, 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 and a private militia of ordinary citizens, not a part of the regular standing army, could absolutely own their own cannon. Of course you could. A thousand percent. So I, Today, could you own a tank? Yes, you can own a tank. If it has an operational cannon in your tank, that would be registered as, as 
if it's not a curio and a relic, as we got into a little bit before, uh, it, it would it would nonetheless be a destructive device that you can register under the under the NFA, National Firearms Act of 1934. So yes, 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 you can. But the other thing that he repeatedly says that is just demonstrably false when it comes to guns is something he repeated on Wednesday. And that is, he said, that the firearms industry is the only, is the only industry that you can't sue. The only industry that has that protection. And, and one of his initiatives is to hold the firearms industry accountable. That's exactly what the bullet point says on the White House fact sheet where he says he's, he's directing his the agencies under his control as part of the executive branch to look at holding the firearms industry accountable. And he's also calling on Congress to repeal, at the federal level, what's called the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. And we have an Indiana version of that right here in Indiana as well. And what does it say? And does it say, by the way, what President Biden says it does, which is that you can't sue the firearms industry. No, it doesn't say that. That, that, is, that is a bold-faced lie. Does it say the firearms industry cannot be held accountable? Accountable. Accountable for what? Well, here's what the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act says the firearm industry shall not be accountable for, and that is if a gun manufacturer or retailer lawfully manufactures, lawfully sells a firearm, and that firearm is then used in a criminal act after it was lawfully produced, lawfully sold by manufacturers, distributors, or retailers. If that member of the firearm industry that put that gun ultimately into the stream of commerce did everything legally, abided by all federal laws, all state laws, And that gun, then, that they put into the stream of commerce is used by a criminal in a criminal act, and someone is injured by a criminal in a criminal act, then the firearm industry shall not be held accountable for that. When President Biden says, I want to repeal this because I think the firearm industry should be accountable, he's saying the industry that lawfully produced a tool used many, many more millions of times every year for lawful purposes, and to protect life, and to protect property, and to protect families. That even though they've complied with all laws, they should still be accountable, quote-unquote, in other words, liable. In other words, they should write the check. They should be civilly liable for damages caused by criminals who take lawfully produced, lawfully sold guns and use them in criminal acts. And the Industry should be accountable, quote-unquote, for that. In other words, civilly liable for that. That's what President Biden is saying, because that's the only protection the industry has today. And if they break a law in the process of producing a gun or selling a gun, putting that gun into the stream of commerce, they can be sued all day and all night for that. In fact, the, the suit by Sandy Hill survivors and the heirs of of victims in Sandy Hook got a huge settlement, tens of millions of dollars when they sued Remington, saying it was Remington's fault that that mass shooter, and I don't use mass shooters' names, you may or may not know the, the 
the Sandy Hook mass shooter's name. I'm not going to repeat it here. I don't give them the notoriety they were seeking when they became mass shooters to begin with. They paid millions of dollars. Remington, their insurance company, Remington went through bankruptcies and restructures and pieces were sold off, but they were still an insurance company or companies that had the liability coverage. They wrote a check. Why is that? If, as President Biden says, the firearm industry is the only industry that can't be sued. Well, they got sued. And those people got tens of millions of dollars in a settlement after the lawsuit was filed. How can that be if what President Biden says is true? Well, I'll go into that and explain that and talk about why we need this statute at both the federal level and the parallel statute here in Indiana when we come back. Right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show. Give us a call. I'm talking about these executive orders. And right now, specifically, I'm talking about the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act and the corollary uh, statute here in Indiana. But give us a call, 317-239-9393. I've had people ask the question on the chat feature on YouTube. Is Guy taking questions here on chat? I'll tell you what, give us a call. Uh, If you don't, I I can't respond to you on the chat feature because I'm not logged in on YouTube because of some computer system issues we're having here in the studio. Uh, But if I see a question on there here for the rest of the show, I will answer it. Um, So you can ask ask your question there in the in the chat feature on YouTube as well. Right now, we're taking a break. Give us a call, 317-239-9393, or ask me on YouTube on the video feed. We'll be right back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. And welcome back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC, talking about Biden's executive orders just came out last Wednesday. One of those, he says he wants to hold the firearm industry accountable Again, I just answered the question, accountable for what? He says, well, if their product is used by a criminal to commit a criminal act, like a murder, a mass shooting, the firearm industry ought to be accountable for that. Even though the industry acted lawfully in producing or selling and or selling that firearm or firearms used in a mass shooting. And I always use the same metaphor, the same example when discussing this issue. And I used it with Hammer and Nigel when they asked me about this on Wednesday on the Hammer and Nigel show. And in fact, Matt on the YouTube feed, excuse me, on the YouTube feed, just ask this question. Can the automaker of the car of the scum who ran into a parade crowd in Wisconsin be held criminally liable? That's exactly the example I always use, Matt. I don't know if we came up with that independently or you were listening to Hammer and Nigel or some other time I've been discussing this. But we And we may very likely have come up with that same rhetorical question in parallel. Because that, that's it. And what the difference is, that nobody even thinks about suing the automaker, Matt, in that situation. Because the first reaction is, well, of course they're not liable. And we've had Dave call in. And Dave, you said to producer Carl, how can the firearms company be held responsible? I mean, you have the same question, right? How the hell can that even be if the manufacturer or the seller 
did everything lawful. Is that, is that the question you called in with as well? I just said if uh, you have a pool installed in your yard and your child, heaven forbid, accidentally drowns, do you sue the pool manufacturer? Yeah, right. And not, yeah, exactly. Not the person who was, try, who was supposed to watch your kid or uh, the person who didn't put it, a fence up around their pool. It's the manufacturer who simply put it into the stream of commerce and did everything they were supposed to do lawfully and legally. And, 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 and David, it's, again, it's another example. But it's, nobody even thinks to sue the manufacturer or the seller in those situations because it never enters anyone's mind because it's too ridiculous of a legal theory. During the break, producer Carl said, Guy, how the hell is Remington or their insurance company kind of representing the liability associated with Remington, responsible for what a mass shooter did at Stony Hook. Well, here's the theory. The theory of the plaintiffs was that Remington manufactured and marketed, particularly the AR-15 involved, with, with, with military-style imagery and language. And 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 they 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 put it on the market talking about its its capabilities that through its marketing encouraged the mass shooting. And then the Connecticut Supreme Court ultimately ruled that because Connecticut has a deceptive advertising statute. It's a little different. You look at these two theories because one is saying, well, the Remington encouraged the mass shooting through its advertising, talking about the capabilities of an AR-15 style semi-automatic rifle. I think that's a ridiculous theory in and of itself. They're not encouraging a mass shooting if they're simply talking about how a particular firearm is effective for self-defense, for defending your, yourself and your family. Uh, I, I don't see how you can make that leap. But he said, well, that's a fact question for the jury. And because there's this deceptive advertising statute, and there was an allegation in the lawsuit that said that Remington violated Connecticut state law in the form of their deceptive advertising statute, such that the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act did not protect them because it only protects them if they did everything lawfully. And they go, aha, marketing. They deceptively marketed their AR-15, that Adam, ah, I started to use his name, that the mass shooter used in Sandy Hook. Therefore, if they didn't do everything lawfully because they violated Connecticut's deceptive advertising statute, aha, that's a question that goes to the jury. And the case doesn't get dismissed as to that theory. And the Connecticut Supreme Court said, yep, now the case goes to a jury on that issue. Now, to win on that, if I'm a lawyer involved in that case, and I'm defending Remington, and you know what I tell them is, okay, they can win this case if the jury believes that, not just believes, but has proof to support the allegation that, because the mass shooter himself out there didn't buy this gun, his mother did. He then killed his mother and stole the gun. So the proof would have to be the mother saw this advertising, was somehow misled by it, 
and bought it as a result of deceptive advertising and or that 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 the shooter himself saw the advertising and that so encouraged him not that he was crazy not that he wanted to the, not that he wanted the notoriety of dying in a mass shooting after murdering as many school children and staff members as he, as he possibly could not that he wanted any of those things he was simply induced to do this by some advertising from Remington that he saw that he read and 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 was so motivated by advertising that violated the Connecticut statute on deceptive advertising that he turned around and said, wow, after reading that magazine ad, I must go commit a mass shooting. Now, that's preposterous. What evidence would they ever have of that? But that's not why the insurance company wrote a big check for tens of millions of dollars. They wrote a big check because they decided because that question was going to go to a jury a jury could easily decide that they simply wanted to take even more money than what they could settle the case for from that insurance company for having the liability to defend Remington. And it was cheaper for the insurance company to write a settlement check than expose itself to what a jury could award in, a, in that civil trial. And a lot of times plaintiffs' lawyers just want any theory. When they have a highly emotional case— and they have no desire to take that case forward on the facts with any real logic and any real evidence. They just want to say, here's a really big company and something bad happened, so they should pay billions of dollars. Or tens of millions or hundreds of millions or whatever the number there is they can come up with. When that's their theory and they have an emotional issue, they'll say, well, you know, if a jury decides, you know, what are they going to award? It's going to be a lot more than what you can settle this case for. And that's when insurance companies in particular who are only worried about the bottom line financially, they're not worried about the next case, that they don't have the liability coverage on. They're not worried about the industry. They're just worried about how they get out for as few dollars as possible compared to their exposure if they go to trial, and they write big checks. That's what happened. But that was because there was this one little incredibly wimpy, incredibly weak legal theory that got past summary judgment, that got past the dismissal stage, the, the judges ruled, including the Connecticut Supreme Court, was going to go to a jury, and the insurance company was so afraid of a jury, they wrote big checks. Well, guess what we heard from Biden on this issue of advertising? Because he knows, the Department of Justice knows, that's how the people in Connecticut got a big settlement from Remington's insurance company. Guess what Biden wants the Department of Justice to do? And others, cabinet members under his direction as part of the executive branch to do on the issue of advertising by gun manufacturers and gun sellers. It all fits together, and it's all coming right out of the experience in Sandy Hook, and it's exactly what we heard Wednesday. That's what we'll go into to wrap up this week's edition of The Gun Guy Show when we come back. Right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back for the last segment of The Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. Talking about Biden's executive orders, there's a lot here. I'm only going really through some of the topics that these executive orders address. I'll get into more on future gun guy shows. But I just went through how the plaintiffs and their lawyers in the Sandy Hook case were able to wrangle a, a huge settlement out of Remington's insurance company. It was based on this so-called misleading advertising claim. Because the Protection of Lawful, Lawful Commerce and Arms Act that Biden wants Congress to repeal 
only protects the firearm industry if they do everything lawfully. Well, lo and behold, what else does the executive order say? It fits directly into the chink in the armor under the Protection of of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act that was exposed in the Remington case. Because one of the executive orders directs the cabinet, the president's cabinet, to, quote, provide the public and policymakers with more information regarding federal firearms dealers who are violating the law. So not just catch them, not just put them in prison if they're violating the law, but he wants more publicly released information on what gun sellers may have been cited for minor little violations here or there of federal firearms licenses or laws. And here we're typically talking about record keeping. So, hey, look, somebody didn't have this form filled out correctly, and they got a citation for that. Well, we want to publicly release that. Why would he want that publicly released? So plaintiff's lawyers can use it in lawsuits if they can possibly link these so little violations to anything that happens downstream. And then lo and behold, I talked about this deceptive advertising claim that was used in Connecticut in the Sandy Hook case. Well, what else did Biden tell the, F- F- the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, to do? to issue a public report analyzing how gun manufacturers market firearms, including marketing them to minors, and how such manufacturers market firearms to all civilians, including through the use of military imagery. Sound familiar? It's exactly what was used in Connecticut. This all fits together, folks. That's what we're seeing from our federal government. Thanks for joining us here on this week's edition of The Gun Guy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. Hope you come back next week. This is Guy Relford for The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7.